Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Young, and I am not going to do a lot of talking at the front end today because the guest lineup is just too good. Anytime I spend in my preambles just taken away from the overall value of this podcast because the lineup is just that good. I will, real quick, as always, let people know how they can join our Trojansports.com community if they are not already a part of it. Now is the time. We could not make it any easier for you. We have a free trial that starts whenever you sign up and goes until September 5th. That's a great opportunity for you to look at what we do and get your eyes on some of our exclusive content, our in-depth features, our in-depth enterprise stories about USC recruiting and the athletic department and stuff you won't find anywhere else. In addition to our regular recruiting coverage, team coverage, fun podcasts like this, everything. It's truly a free trial. There's no risk. There's no fine print. There's no tricks. There's no games. Give us a try and stay as long as you want. And we think that you're going to really like the content and want to be part of our ever-growing Trojan sports community moving forward. So go to the homepage, sign up, code USC2020 at sign up, USC2020. And if you go to the homepage at trojansports.com, you'll see a big banner at the top with a link to the promo. You can just click on it and follow it straight in. Or at the top of any story I post, there's a link to the promo. It couldn't make it any easier for you. So now's the time. Give us a try. Enjoy our coverage, but enjoy this podcast, most importantly, because this is a fun one. I'm going to work backwards, even though if you clicked on the link, you already know who's on the podcast. But just to work backwards, at the back end, I have Drew Peterson, the newest USC basketball transfer edition the fifth transfer edition for the Trojans this offseason. Drew comes from Rice University. He was a starter the last two years, entered the transfer portal a month ago, was briefly committed to Minnesota, backed off that, ends up at USC. I go in depth with him about the whole transfer process, what happened with Minnesota, and how the Trojans sold him on coming to L.A. when he couldn't come out for a visit, how he thinks he's going to fit into the offense, and whether he'll be eligible next year. Really good talk with Drew. appreciate his time. I also have on the show Adam Gorney, our Rivals recruiting analyst, who you know I love to bring along because he has great insight. And, and I especially wanted to get his perspective this week because this week was our Rivals Rankings Week where we trotted out our new 2021 Rivals 250 prospect rankings, which in turn really shuffled the overall team rankings. USC jumped all the way to number four in the Rivals recruiting rankings because Three Trojans commits, in particular, saw a major boost in their individual ranking, which then helped the team ranking. I talked to Adam about each of those guys, why they got that bump right now. But really, I wanted to talk to him about the process in this unusual time. How did he and the other analysts go about adjusting rankings when there's been no football for months? We had to stall our Rivals Camp Series, which is one of our most important evaluation tools uh, we had a few camps. The L.A. camp happened. The Texas camp happened. A few others. But we couldn't get through the whole thing. There's been no 7-on-7 seven seven football to evaluate. So how did the analysts go about setting the new, new rankings? And I thought that was a really interesting discussion about that process. But the marquee headlining guest, of course, is USC starting quarterback Keaton Slovis. was really excited to get him on the podcast this week. If you've heard... Keaton's post-game interviews or post-practice interviews, I think you're going to hear a much different interview today. You know, it was a very casual, long-form, no-time-constraints discussion. We went for 35-plus minutes, and, and he was really engaged and, and open and candid and, and insightful about a lot of things. And I, I really felt good after we recorded that interview and thinking, man, the fans are going to love hearing this from their star quarterback. We covered the full gamut. Obviously, we talked about the topical stuff, his elbow injury in the bowl game, how he's feeling now, his reaction to the JT Daniels transfer portal news from a few weeks ago, his thoughts on the new receivers. He had a lot of interesting comments on Brew McCoy in particular. But this was a unique opportunity to really go in depth with Keaton, and I wanted to go back through this crazy journey and ride he's been on this last year plus. This this really interesting story he's authored going from overlooked, underrated three-star prospect from Scottsdale, Arizona, to thrust into the spotlight in his first game, to immediate star, to putting up record freshman QB stats at USC. And 
I thought he was really interesting in putting in perspective all the different stages of that process. I think you're going to really, really enjoy that conversation. So with that said, no more from me at the top. Let's get right to it. Let's welcome in the starting quarterback of the USC Trojans, Keaton Slovis. All right, we are super excited to have an A-list guest today. We have USC starting quarterback Keaton Slovis on the podcast. Keaton, how are you? Good, thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Uh, I got a lot I want to cover with you, but we kind of have to start with just the reality of the current situation in these strange times. I know everyone's finding different ways to train and stay in shape and whatever. What's been your process through this, this quarantine and are you back in Arizona, or where are you going through this? Yeah, so I'm back in Arizona, and, uh, you know, just trying to just stay with everything and keep in shape the best I can, you know, uh, lifting three times a week um, and, uh, you know, throwing another three times a week. So just trying to, to stick with it and not, not lose sight of, you know, we're at home and not, not in the facility like we'd like to be, but, you know, we'd like to just stay focused on, on the goal at hand. For sure. Now, if, if there had been a spring practice, you were going to be on something of a pitch count, so to speak. Have the coaches kind of monitored and, and, and dictated what you should be doing during this time? And what's the communication on kind of how much you are throwing, how much you should be throwing, et cetera? Yeah, I've kind of been in touch with the, at least at first, how many throws I was doing and how I felt. But really, the, I think the second week out here is really when I started to notice um, the difference in my arm. And um, I really feel now that I'm really beyond 100 percent you know if that's even possible i feel better than i did even when i was healthy just because of you know the arm care work i've been doing so um at this point i can throw as much as i want as many times and it's not not have any issues so that's really good to be at that's that's a major relief for fans to hear I, i know when you talked to us on that one spring practice you said that you weren't ever really worried about the arm injury but i know a lot of fans were the elbow strain as you look back on it, was it more of a scare in hindsight than maybe you thought in the moment? Um, I mean, maybe. I think, honestly, looking back at it, it was, I, mean, I hate to say this, but it was kind of a blessing disguise because I think my arm needed a little more attention than I was giving it in terms of before the injury. I wasn't really treating it as well as I should have. So to kind of look at it more seriously and, you know, give it the care it deserves and kind of treat it um, and kind of take a step back and look at, you know, what I could do to make it um, – you know, not hurt, um, you know, throughout the week and, uh, you know, be fresh for, you know, later in the season, later in the week. I think that was really important, and I'm kind of glad I got that time to, to do that. Have you been able to to air it out and, and, and see if that deep balls is what it was before or if anything's different? <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've probably thrown every type of possible throw in the past few weeks, so uh, everything's back where it is, and, again, it's it's a lot easier to throw it now because I could throw a lot more without – without tiring my arm out. So it's, it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. I, I've seen uh, Twitter videos of guys doing clever, creative things to get their workouts in during this, you know, pushing cars, lifting weird things. Is there anything out of the ordinary you've had to do just because you don't have access to the team facility? Yeah, you know, you're kind of just trying to, to make anything work. And uh, especially, you know, I first got here, I was finding ways to work, but we got kicked out of a few weight rooms here and there. So, uh We've been limited in, in our workout ability, but um, again, Coach Double uh, A will give us a lot of uh, you know fun fun activities to do. The, the car push was one of them, so he kind of challenged us to get out there. And I think I put that on my story on Instagram. So uh, just just kind of say, I think he's just trying to keep the players engaged in a way. And you know, especially when you don't have the facilities to do it, you know, there's a lot of things you could do that will that will benefit you. For sure. I, I know you guys are, are getting to meet with the coaches. You're doing the Zoom meetings. You're in touch with the staff. What's the communication like between the players, though? Are, are you guys talking a lot? How, how do you all kind of stay, uh, keep that cohesion you'd be building otherwise when you're all in different places right now? Right. It's not easy. You know, I've been just trying to make an effort, though, to, uh, you know, just check in on the guys here and there. It's not easy, like I said, be, not being in the same place, not being in the same facility. You know, usually be – you can just walk over to guys' locker and you can see them if you want, but uh, it's a lot more difficult now. But um, I think just reaching out to guys and, and checking in and seeing how they're doing is, uh, you know, most we can do right now. And um, I think you know, we've, we've done a few, um, I guess, offensive, offensive uh, 
units been together at times too so i think that's that's healthy so uh just as, as much as we can to be together in this time are there a lot of group texts flying around right now and, and if so who's who's the most active responder who's the guy that you know is going to uh, text you three times a day um not really a ton of group text honestly i mean we got like our class texts of course but uh you know shoot i don't know uh lyman we were actually trying to set up so i guess double a is trying to set up a lineman grill off between the offensive line and the defensive line so i guess i was i was kind of texting to brett back and forth trying to trying to figure that out i give him a call so uh maybe maybe brett well, I, I want to get into a lot of stuff, and, and this is a rare opportunity to kind of go in-depth with you and, and look back on last season. But before we get there, I, I got to talk about, uh, obviously, the big recent news. JT Daniels entered the transfer portal last month. Did you have much heads up on that? And, and either way, what was your reaction when, when you found out that you know the guy you've been competing with is, is in the portal now? Yeah, no, I didn't know. Um, obviously, there's still a chance he comes back, so um, it's not necessarily – huge news i guess and you know as a teammate we, we'd love to have him obviously you know i know as you saw last year no matter who's where in the quarterback room you know we need as many quarterbacks as we can get and you know i'd love look forward to competing as always but wasn't really um aware of the situation it kind of happened and um like i said i didn't really have any leeway but um kind of like think that last year you can always come back so i haven't really thought about it too much because like i said it's, it's, it's i think I don't know anything, but it's possible he could come back. Sure, sure. It, you know, it, it was uh, it was cool last year. He handled everything really well, and Coach Helton gave him a lot of credit early on for being helpful with you. I think he had you guys room on the road maybe once or twice or whatever. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic between quarterbacks. There's one job. How complex was that relationship through last season? And just obviously you're focused on you, and, and he couldn't play. But how, how tough was that just kind of managing any potential awkwardness? Yeah, you know, I feel like it's more difficult for his, him and his situation, but I think he handled it very well. Um, obviously, it's you know, you never want to go from you know being a starting quarterback to to being on uh, on the sideline not being able to play. And his his case was due to injury, which is even you know more difficult because you, you can't do anything to get back on the field. So I feel like that was very very difficult for him, but I think he handled it very well. Again, I think a lot of throughout the year, early on, he helped me a lot. As the year progressed, you know, I think he was really focused on his rehab and getting better and back on the field uh, as soon as he can. So, you know, I think, I think you know, maybe he wouldn't be in the meeting room as much, but that was just because he was doing his, his rehab. So I really can't say we did, like, a whole lot together last year. Yeah. But, again, I wasn't necessarily um, because he chose not to. It was just he was doing doing things to benefit his health. So anything, everything I'd expect. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Well, well just last question on this matter. You know, obviously, if he doesn't come back, it affects the depth chart in a big way. It would be you and Matt Fink as the only scholarship quarterbacks, uh, Mo Hassan, a grad transfer coming in. Does it make you play any different, any more cautiously, knowing that so much is now – I mean, even more than before, so much is riding on you staying healthy and on that field next year? Right. I think regardless of the depth chart, you know, I was kind of going into this year thinking, you know, I need to get – you know, as flexible and as, as, you know, big and strong as I can at the same time to be as durable as I can for this next year because um, I feel like there were times last year where I got knocked out of a game and, you know, sometimes you can't help it, but there are other times where you probably can and if I could avoid that those those instances and stay on the field as much as possible or at least give myself the opportunity to do so, um, that's, that's really all I can do. Yeah. Well, good stuff. All right, well, I want to get into to last season and, and talk about some cool topics here and – I know, I think all the fans know, you, you don't like talking about yourself. You're very humble. It's one of the, the traits that people really respect about you through your rapid rise last season. You never made it about yourself. So I'm going to try and ask these questions cleverly uh, and differently so that <laughs> it, I don't make you say things you don't want to say. But I, I want to go back in time to, man, I, I think it was it was early January of, of 19 when I sat in your living room with you and your parents, Max and Lisa, and just kind of talking about at that time you being that three-star guy that, that people were overlooking and I came away from that and I just the major takeaway was just how resolute you were your dad was that hey you know we are on that level I mean it doesn't matter what people say that's that's where we are and you just kind of had that inner confidence and knew that 
I'm sure you've had the chance to, to sit with your parents and just kind of put this whole year in perspective. And, and when you do, do you kind of circle back to those early perceptions? And, and how do you all digest and talk about that, I guess? Yeah, I think uh, my dad and I talk all the time um, about a variety of different things. But I think one of the things he, he kind of always talked to me about, maybe we talked about when you were there, was, you know, just building chips on the shoulder and, you know, just kind of creating – you know, and you're, you, you're this, the, the last dance documentary has been on, and, you know, Michael's kind of creating fuel for his motivation, you know, to, to push him. And I think that's kind of the same idea, you know. So um, there's often times where I think back to that time and think of a, a, a time where, you know, I was a three-star, where no one thought I was um, ever going to get an opportunity to play at, at, at this level. So I think a lot of times, you know, you, you think about those moments, and there's, it's, just, it's just another another way to, to motivate yourself. And, again, like, like my dad said, it's just, just stack the chips on your shoulder. It, it must have been so special for your parents to be along for that ride last year and to see it unfold the way it did. Are, are there any moments that stand out to you from the season? Maybe it's it's getting together with them after a game or having dinner or just, just moments where it really struck you that, wow, this is happening, and you're getting to really experience this incredible story in real time. Um, I've obviously seen them after the game is pretty special. I think the – the, the one thing that was pretty sweet, I was with my dad here, and, you know, people recognize me around school quite often now, um, and it's become somewhat commonplace. So I guess I've gotten more used to it, but my dad probably hasn't because he's not around all the time at school especially. So I think the coolest thing probably was, you know, we're in Scottsdale. I think it's winter break, and we're going from the store. I'm not wearing any USC gear. So I, we're walking out of the store, and another guy who's wearing a USC shirt kind of looks over my way and says, Keaton, fight on. My dad's like, oh, man, that's so cool. He recognized you. <laughs> but I kind of just showed where we were. A year prior to that, you know, I wasn't even I, – I was just about to leave for school. So, I mean, to be recognized in Scottsdale, um, where there aren't really a whole lot of USC fans, I think for him was, was pretty cool. Well, that almost answers my next question. I was going to say, what has the, re- the reaction and response been now that you've been back and now you're a nationally recognized quarterback. So when you go back to your school to work out, or when you give me a sense for how many more people are treating you differently, I guess. Um, I, I could probably answer that question better if I was weren't uh, in lockdown right now. But um, I guess Ooh. it is. People obviously get get more excited probably because uh, you know it's a different level when you're playing at USC versus you know playing in high school at as around high school so so uh, again like i said i don't know if i can really truly answer that question until we're we're done with quarantine and everything but um yeah you definitely see see people treat you a little bit differently sure sure well you know that leads to the obvious question you have the perspective of hindsight and having gone through it what did people miss what did the recruiting rankings miss what did anyone who didn't recruit you miss what was the big thing that people didn't see at that time you know I kind of think about that quite often. You know, what was it that kind of set me not able to be ranked? Or thinking throughout that whole process, you know, like we had camps and stuff, and you know, I remember walking away thinking, like, why, why aren't they seeing me? You know, why aren't they, you know, thinking I'm as good as these guys? I feel like I'm just as good as them. And I kind of think back those camps. I wouldn't do anything out of the ordinary. You know, I wouldn't do anything crazy. I wouldn't throw any crazy jump passes. I just go out and throw and. I remember thinking maybe I'm just just seem very ordinary within these camps. Is where that sounds. I don't know. That was kind of just my takeaway. Um, you know, I, could, I don't really do anything that stands out from the crowd. Yeah, I throw a good ball. That's cool. But you know, I'm not not running around. I don't have any crazy special skills that stick out. So I kind of told myself maybe that's what it was. But again, regardless of what it was, it just, it just fueled my motivation. And you know, I try to make it work to, to my advantage. Yeah, and I mean, for people like me, it makes your story even better. <laughs> that, that, that was the reality and that you were able to not only prove people wrong, but do it immediately. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Brian Ellis, the former USC quarterbacks coach, who was kind of key in, in discovering you and getting you on this track. Do you ever think back to that as a what if? What if Brian Ellis hadn't come by the school that day and then offered you that afternoon and, and kind of started this whole ball rolling? Yeah, yeah, I think about that. Not so often, but it is a little fun to, to ponder. You know, at that point, you know, I only had two other Power 5 offers. So to have the third one come from USC and to come from Brian, and it was, it was obviously really special. But if that didn't happen, 
you know, I have no idea where I'd be at the, uh, right now. So, obviously, super thankful for that, and uh, it is kind of interesting to think about that. Do you and he still keep in touch at all? Uh, he's at Western Kentucky now, but yeah, I've been really talking to him the whole time. But he did text me. I think it was after the Stanford game. Uh, I don't know if I can pull it up right now, but he uh, he kind of texted me. Oh, here it is. He said, "He said, congrats, big timer. You were made for it after the Stanford game." So I think that was pretty cool because I think he was definitely one of the guys that, you know, believed in me and, you know, when a whole lot, not a whole lot of people did. And I think it was kind of cool to see him, you know, prove himself right to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more of a what if for USC fans because certainly we would expect that if you hadn't gone somewhere else, you'd be doing the same thing somewhere else. But it wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be part of this program. And it's really changed the complexion of this program. So it's funny how college football works that way. And USC fans may not think of Brian Ellis as a pivotal figure in the recent history of the program. He was there one year, but, but man, that was about as important a move as any, you know, building off that text you got from him and, and that vein, what was the best call or comment you received either during last season or, or since just, just someone you heard from that really resonated. And you're like, wow, that, that's awesome that they reached out. Yeah, I got a lot of texts from a lot of different people. It's hard to think just one, but sure. I think I think it was leading up to the Stanford game. I got a text from from Matt Liner, and uh, you know, obviously USC fans probably think of him as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, USC quarterback of all time. So, especially me being from Arizona and him being drafted by the Cardinals, I was always a Liner fan, you know. So to ha- I have a text from him, which was pretty awesome. I, I can't lie, it was, it was just pretty surreal at the in the moment. And to look back to, I think that was you know, the fact that I've been. Uh, been able to be in touch with you know Kurt Warner, Matt Liner throughout my my call my football career to this point is pretty pretty crazy. Thinking of uh, you know the Arizona quarterbacks of, of my time growing up. Totally, and and you just kind of uh, previewed my next two questions. I was going to ask, what relationship do you have now with some of the the former great USC quarterbacks, and have you gotten to know those guys at all now that you're kind of officially part of that fraternity? Right, I haven't talked to you know a whole lot of them too much, even Liner. I've seen him around here and there, but uh, the one that's probably been around the most has probably been Mark Sanchez, and I guess him and Coach Harrell, um, I think we're around the same time, so or close to the same time, so they're, they're pretty friendly, so he's always, you know, he'll stop by the quarterback room here and there, and he'll send me texts, and uh, it's pretty cool. After the BYU game, obviously I struggled a bit. He sent me, you know, a long text, kind of kind of boosting my confidence a bit and sending me some ways so I could get better, so I think that was that was really helpful. Awesome. And then you mentioned Kurt Warner, obviously was the offensive coordinator at your high school, huge influence in your life, a guy you looked up to growing up. Has he had any critiques for you coming off of last season? I mean, not just praise and compliments, but was there anything that he saw and said, hey, this is the one thing you should work on? Yeah, definitely. He, uh, he He's never one to, to sit back and, you know, he'll tell you a great job, but he's never one to just sit back and, and let you sit there and not get better, you know, so. Um, I remember the first day I kind of got back from quarantine. I went over to his house, or from school on spring break. I kind of went back over to his house to throw, and we just worked footwork and feet. And he's saying, I got to be quicker, got to be quicker. So we were working some stuff there, and we walked walk, walk through some film, film too. So it's pretty cool to, no matter what happens, uh, no matter what kind of year you have, you're just going to go back and, and get better with him. And I, I really appreciate that. Very cool. I, I, I was going to ask you, how – how has that relationship continued even though you guys are apart now? I mean, how often do you reach out and seek his advice or counsel or, or critiques like that? Yeah, he's a, he's pretty awesome. You know, he'll send me, send me stuff quite frequently. Um, obviously it's a different offense and he's used to running. So that limits what I can get from him to some extent, but at the end of the day, football's football. And yeah. If you see something, he'll definitely send it. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate that. Well, let's get into another big influence for you. Uh, Graham Harrell, USC's offensive coordinator, was, uh, you know, for a guy that wasn't the one who recruited you, quickly became one of your biggest supporters and believers. In January, it was you and your dad saying, hey, look, we can play at this level. By spring practice last year, it was Graham Harrell saying, look, this kid's special. How much did his early belief and his public belief and support kind of help help you off to your hot start and, and help you find your confidence so early. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, but I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think Graham's ever said that um, to me or to my face, you know, <laughs> that's all to the media, but I, you know, I appreciate that a lot. And I think that was one of the things that was pretty cool to see is, 
you know, a guy that had no biases coming in, a complete clean slate, you know, when it came to evaluating quarterbacks, was, a, you know, was impressed. And I, I kind of saw that as a way. If he's impressed or likes what I'm doing now as a true freshman early in the spring, you know, you know, how far can I take that and where, how much I can get better? So, um, you know, it really gave me a lot of confidence. And, uh, you know, I'm just really excited, really happy to have that relationship with him. He's uh, couldn't, couldn't be happier with, with, with what we got in him. Obviously, nobody knew what was going to happen. No one knew JT would get hurt. No one wanted to see that happen. But at what point, either in spring practice or fall camp, did you truly think that you had a chance to be a factor this season in terms of where you were going to be on the depth chart? You came out of camp number two. Uh, at what point did you think, hey, I might have a chance to be in that backup spot at least and have a chance to be the next guy up? I honestly thought at the end of the spring ball, I was potentially one of the better, if not the best quarterback on the roster. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I came out fall camp. I didn't think I had the best camp. I'm not sure exactly why that was, uh, but for multiple reasons, you know, I had to make turnovers and it's kind of just just forcing forcing the the envelope in a way um, and throwing a lot of ter- having a lot of turnovers and just playing not not my style of ball. So I think walking out of fall camp, I knew I didn't win the job, but I knew I was talented enough to be you know among the the guys or among the starters you know so you know i was kind of frustrated at that point but you know luckily i got the number two spot and i think a lot of that was because of of what i showed in spring ball and the potential i showed there but again i was just luckily lucky to 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 not drop too far down the depth chart and get the opportunity like i said that says a lot right there that you were not content to wow i'm the number two quarterback as a true freshman You, you weren't content with that you thought you could have done better. That says a lot. It didn't take long. You, you get thrown in the first game. JT gets hurt in the first half. With, with the the benefit of perspective and distance now, how I don't I don't know if nervous is the right word or just stunned. What was your feeling the minute you get thrust out there in that first game, and all of a sudden you you kind of know, hey, this is probably my show for a while. Yeah, you know it was it was it was definitely interesting. You kind of just lost the competition, and, you know, I don't know, I can't really put it into words, but I guess the main thing for me was, you know, I just kind of got a second chance, I guess, and uh, obviously it was for unfortunate reason, and you hate to see an injury happen, but for whatever reason, I was getting an opportunity, and at that point, I just kind of wanted to make the most of it, and, you know, never look back in a sense. I assume you're doing a bunch of film study from last season, or you have since the season ended. What's what's the game you rewatched the most, and for what reason? Um, we went through a lot. We haven't really rewatched. We just started rewatching games, so um, we're going. We kind of just finished what rewatching Washington, which I know I didn't play, but I think the next one we're going to rewatch is Oregon. But um, I think there's just you know really we can learn a lot from our, our losses and mistakes. But really, we just went through all our past concepts over and over and over again. And uh, any uh, concept I kind of had a question on or wanted to get a deeper understanding, we kind of went through too. So it's kind of good good time now, especially with so much time on our hands to kind of go through and, and just just have, you know iron out all the all the all the wrinkles. Even personally, though, last season ends. Let's say it's two weeks after last season. Was there something that you were just itching to go back and look at yourself, even if it was just a play or a pass, or was there anything that, that you just wanted to see again? Honestly, uh, probably the Iowa game. We were, uh, we hadn't watched that film, you know, for I don't think we ever watched it together as a complete unit. Um, so I kind of want to go back and watch that because we had a lot of good things we were doing. Um, but I, I never saw it from the upwards angle. I never, you know, like that deep ball dominator. I never even saw that throw throw until I saw it on film. Yeah. So um, stuff like that. I thought we were, you know, honestly in the first half, or really for the first half, I guess uh, when it, the injury happened. But I felt like we were we were working really well offensively. And we we're doing a lot of good things, so it was just I kind of want to go back and, and watch that and see how, see how that that looked from the top. Well, I'm going to ask you about the good and bad here. What's what's the one interception that haunts you the most, and what's the one touchdown pass you're proudest of from last season, or the, or the one throw period? Um, the one that haunts me the most, uh, definitely BYU game. Yeah, uh, the last one, no doubt. Just wasn't going through my reads, playing too fast, playing scared. And we should have won that game if I'd make my right reads. Um, so definitely look back at that one. But you got to learn from it and make the best of it. And, you know, you move on. It happened. Best throw. Man, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. 
tell you my vote was the Arizona State one to Amon Ra that was just kind of on a line and kind of threaded in between. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was thinking that's probably my favorite one. Um, I don't think I've ever had a 95-yard touchdown in my life. So that, yeah. was, that was a pretty fun one. And, and uh, you know, to do it in Arizona was, was also extra special. So that was definitely, definitely a good one. Well, yeah, going back to, to Graham Harrell, you know, you mentioned that while he was very um, outward with the praise to us about you, he wasn't saying that to you. He, he can be very blunt. And, and, and direct, what was his major critique coming off last season? The thing he said, look, if you want to get to the next level, this is the thing you got to improve by next year. Um, he really gave me one thing. He kind of just, you know, we just got to get better in all facets of the game. But, I mean, I think one of the things, too, is, you know, you saw at the end of the year, if we keep playing like we did in the latter half of that season, you know, we can have a lot of success. And I think that was his main message um, to the quarterbacks, at least. You guys have developed a good relationship. We, we saw some fun videos on social media of you guys and of him calling you Kiki and everything else. Um, how would you kind of describe where that relationship is right now between you and Graham? Uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's, you know, I like to have that relationship with my offensive coordinator, obviously. I think it's really important. And, you know, he makes it really easy. He's a lot of fun. You know, I was kind of getting asked this uh, last week and, I don't know how to describe him, but he's almost like a like a role model to me, honestly. Um, maybe like a big brother, but he's uh, you know he's awesome. He's a lot of fun, but like I said, he doesn't he doesn't get caught up in everything. You know, people he'll never tell me. You know, like I said, he'll never tell me the things he tells you about me to my face, uh, which I, I honestly respect a lot. Cause I don't think you should really talk to a player like that. Um, and so it's it's really good. It's good to learn from him, especially because I think I want to end up coaching one day too. I think a lot of that's from being around him. I think a lot of that too is from being around him is kind of kind of learning from him and seeing seeing what he does uh, to learn from myself in the future. Good stuff. What what's the one thing you tease him about? Um, I would all find some stuff. You know, I think his wife followed me on Instagram, so I found like an old picture of <laughs> of him on Instagram. I kind of dude, what do you you look like a weirdo here or something like that? I don't know. It, it kind of comes up though, and I'll I'll try to try to find some stuff, some dirt on him. Well, good deal. Well, I got three last ones for you, and we really appreciate your time. This was this has been awesome. Looking ahead to 2020, if if you are going to be better in 2020, what is the major reason? What's the major area of difference that allows you to find even another level to your game? Um, I think just cutting down turnovers. Um, you saw that again in the latter half of the season. I think I only had really one turnover since what was it ASU. So I think if we can do that, you know, and protect the football, like I said, it's, it's not there's not too much to do when it comes to, you know, schematics. You just have to execute, and I think, again, like we did that in the latter half of the year, but if we protect the football and execute, uh, I think the offense is pretty much unstoppable. Uh, on that note, you know, we always hear people talk about the game slowing down for you. The game slows down. Can you kind of, for those of us who haven't been out there with the bullets flying, explain the difference maybe from BYU to UCLA and just kind of how the game slowed down or looked differently to you? Yeah. I mean, I think you're, it's, again, it, the best way to say it is it just slows down. And But it's really just because you're prepared. I think it's, and it's not necessarily preparing. Not that I wasn't prepared for BYU. I was very, very well prepared and I knew of my stuff. But I think it's more of a subconscious um, feeling and awareness and, and confidence, you know, just the more football you play, I think that the, the easier things get, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, getting back to my final two questions here, talked about what's going to make you better in 2020. If this offense is even better in 2020, what's the major reason? I say everyone, every unit just kind of buys into it. Um, I think that was the biggest thing you saw at the end of last year. Again, it was not necessarily people buying into to the, to the, you know, the schematics, you know, everyone loves the schematics, but I think it was more so buying into the culture that, that we were building. And then you, people started doing, doing the right things more so more often. Um, you know, the off season, we started building, started holding people more and more accountable. I think that's a huge thing too. You know, if we start holding people accountable and uh, we start doing things the right way, it's going to, going to translate to the football field. Again, if you do this offense, if you run it right and everyone executes it at a high level, um, you know, you'll you'll be putting up lots of points, game, game in and game out. And and one exciting thing, and this is the last question, is 
that even though you lose Michael Pittman, you know, the top receiver on the team last year, stats-wise at least, you guys might be even deeper at that spot with, with the influx of new talent. We got to see one spring practice, kind of give the fans a sense for what you've seen from Brew McCoy, from Kyle Ford, Gary Bryant, and Josh Jackson. Yeah, you know, I don't even really love Pitt um, to death, but <clears throat> but we have so much talent at that that position, and you know, I'm so excited to see what they'll do. I did a lot of throwing with with Brew, trying to come back from my arm injury and trying to get him familiar with the offense, and uh, you know, he's he's a special talent. Same with with uh, the two young ones, Josh Jackson and GB. So seeing a lot of them, and they're really special. And Kyle, once he gets healthy, you know, the sky's the limit for him, but. And I'm just so excited to get back out there and, and kind of, like I said, just, just get them running and, and seeing what they can do and how they can step into that role and fulfill it. I got to follow up on those. In your throwing sessions with Brew, what stands out? I mean, he was a five-star guy. Everyone knew that he was a big deal and, and has high expectations for him. But what do you see through the QB lens that makes him special? <laughs> I think the one thing about Brew is if you if you had to build a receiver like in a lab, that's probably what as close as what it'll look like you know he's uh he's probably he's a great route runner don't get me wrong he's a great route runner um he's disciplined with his depths he has long strides but along with that he is explosive you know he catches the ball and bursts up field and <laughs> frankly i don't know who's gonna pack on him so um i'm excited really excited to see what he can do and you know once we once i get the ball in his hands hopefully uh i think he'll be doing a lot of special things with it i think usc fans will be really excited did you get to know him at all much through last season? I mean, he was doing his own deal with the illness, and and he was having to go through his own, you know, training and and fitness. How well were you guys even even able to bond during that process? Yeah, no, I spent a lot of time with him. You know, I uh, I felt for him. You know, he went through a lot lot of adversity um, with the transfer to the illness. Um, you know, he was really really dealing with a lot, but you know, he kind of battled it and. Uh, you know, here he is back, healthy, and uh, you know, ready for next year. So I'm, I'm really excited for him and for our football team. With Kyle Ford, we saw him in that one spring practice, kind of working inside. Um, what about his skill set makes him a, a a mismatch or a weapon in that way? Yeah, and I, I know he and Drake London aren't the same body at all, but you know, Drake was a guy that kind of really found a niche out of that slot inside receiver position. Why is that a good fit for Kyle? Honestly, I'm not. I'm not sure what um, coach's reasoning is that. Yeah, I'm sure he has a great reason, but I, I don't honestly could tell you because we only had one practice, like yeah, I said. Yeah, but yeah, true. One of those things. I'm sure it's either due to personnel because of where we have guys other places. Um, you know, like we talk about moving Amaro outside, so maybe that's why, um, or maybe that skill set does fit in better inside. I'm not sure, but again, I think a lot of those guys, no matter where you put them. They're gonna find a way to win. You can put Drake London inside or outside. You know he's gonna find a way to win. Same with Omnira. Um So again, putting Kyle inside, I don't think um, it makes a whole lot of difference. But I'm sure there's a reason. But again, I'm just not not sure what what it is. Well, hey, a tremendous insight on on every topic. That that was uh, was really fun. I know our listeners enjoyed it. Keaton, thanks for doing that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, that was awesome. Thanks to Keaton Slobus for taking all that time and doing that for us. And let's let's segue to someone who was involved in that ranking process that had Keaton Slovis as a three-star prospect coming out of high school. I'm just giving him a hard time. We'll get into some other stuff with uh, our next guest. Adam Gorney is our rival's West Coast recruiting analyst. Adam, you're following uh, Keaton Slovis on the podcast, and I think it's only natural that we go back in time a little bit before we we talk about our topic of the day, which is the new Rivals 250 rankings. I, I was asking Keaton about being a three-star guy and you know, with the, the benefit of time and perspective, him looking back on that. What do you recall about those rankings discussions and, and when or if he ever came up in those, those meetings? Yeah, you know, he was one spot away from being a four-star, and I would have looked perfectly fine if, if I had just moved him up one one group, you know, and, and it was a thing where, um, you know, he hadn't done a lot of things on the circuit in the off season. And so that was definitely a factor. Um, just not seeing him a whole lot. I tend to kind of side on the conservative side of things. And then it was just, you know, it, it was just a thing where his recruitment hadn't, hadn't really taken off all that much. And, uh, and to be honest, at that point, it really felt 
like a situation where JT Daniels was going to be the quarterback at USC for the for the foreseeable future. And so, yeah. would he be a kid who, you know, went to USC sort of in a in a backup role? I mean, I don't know what he said during the podcast, but I mean, even him coming in, he had to imagine that you know he would have to wait his turn here, you know. And so he would have a very small window to really prove himself. And so obviously a missed ranking. He had one very good season so far. We'll see how that continues um, over his career. But but definitely a missed ranking on my part. I really should have given him that insurance ranking before starting. <laughs> that would have looked smart. And if he didn't live up to it, I could have blamed him. <laughs> exactly. Well, you can't get them all right. And uh, USC was definitely mining for some hidden gems in the last couple classes. Not so much so far this class. We've talked a lot about their success so far, and the optics got even better as our new rankings came out. USC goes up to number four in the team rankings, and a, and a few guys get a nice boost. I want to get into those guys specifically, but you know, the question I get from everybody is how tough was your job and the job of the analyst in figuring out these new rankings when we didn't have the benefit of – finishing the Rivals Camp Series. We, we didn't have seven-on-seven seven the last couple months. How much tougher was this process? Yeah, it was very strange because there were kind of two two different kinds of sides on, on our rankings call. One was the guys that had had their camps and had had some seven-on-sevens, especially in Florida and out here um, in Texas. We kind of lucked out and had a, at least one camp in Texas before it got shut down. But what we didn't want to do is kind of over-exaggerate those guys yeah. because we had seen them and liked them. And and really, we didn't. We decided not to move anybody we didn't see um, in person or who had new film uh, for the rest of the country. So a lot of the movement, both up and down, but more generally up, honestly, were guys that we had seen on the West Coast in Texas and in Florida, which, you know, in hindsight, were three very valuable areas to have our early camps, but guys in the Midwest and sort of up and down the Eastern Seaboard didn't have that opportunity. So it was it was a tough thing to do. We we felt like we needed to have something going into the summer, and so we did it kind of in an abridged way. It, I guess logically, that's going to put even more emphasis on what happens in the fall, assuming anything happens. Normally, how much change is there in the fall? season to the rankings and do you anticipate that to be even more so now because of this yeah fall is huge um it's always a very important time to see them in pads and i i put a lot of emphasis on camps and seven on seven um i've said this before i just I've, I've never seen many guys who weren't very good in the spring and the summer be very bad in the fall i mean the guys who are athletic and guys who make plays in seven on seven are the same guys who make plays and are athletic on Friday nights with pads on yeah. for most, most of the time that's, that's, you know, more than, uh, more, more guys than most, I would say. Um, so the fall is going to be big. We're going to be very back backed up on 2022 and 2023 evaluations, even 2024 evaluations. The spring is so valuable for 2021 kids, um, to kind of get a feel of where they're, where they're headed. Um, but we kind of know who's good and who's not and where they should be kind of placed at this point. But the early, but the younger kids, just developing those relationships, seeing them for the first, second, and third time over and over and over, and just getting a sense for those guys has been completely lost. So that's going to be very valuable in the fall. The fall is going to be very important. The All-Star Games are going to be the most important, probably, that they've been ever. Um, just because we haven't, you know... Unless you're at Modern Day or Bosco or about five other programs, um, you might be the only one or two Division One players on your team. A lot of times, playing no other college level players, so evaluations at that point are kind of out the window. But at, in those All Star events, you're going to see who's who, and that's where I think you could see a tremendous amount of changes in the rankings. Just one more on the process. How long do these these calls go when when all the analysts get together and you and you try and reshuffle things and you you argue over different guys and and was it longer was it shorter this time based on the circumstances we just discussed yeah it was definitely shorter this time um just because the, a lot of guys couldn't move yeah and so we we took you know a lot of effort to make sure that guys we didn't see 
uh, literally could not move up in position rankings. Even if other guys were falling, um, they, they'd move up by default, um, but making sure that there were no significant jumps there um, because we didn't see them. So that was really, it was more of like a technical, uh, you know, movement thing than it was actual rankings this time around. Generally, we will spend, I would say, about 10 hours on the phone over one long day to get through the positions, oh, each position, and then we will spend about half that time working through the 250 and then a little more time working through all the four stars outside of the 250 making sure none of them needed to make it in there so it's a it's a we used to do it over three days um i like to think that i (laughs) had a hand in forcing a two-day situation just to to honestly get through it and get it over with because all the other work doesn't stop. It's just kind of an added work into that week of, of going through the rankings. So the way we do it is we start at pro style quarterback. We, we rank them however far we're going 35, 40, 50 at the end of the process. It'll probably be around 50 pro style quarterbacks. We move people up, move people down. um, And we go through each position like that. And then, as they as they sit in the position rankings, we pick them off one by one to get through the 250. Good stuff. Yes, I'm uh, I, I'm appreciative of the time that you all put into that, and I don't have to be a part of it. There were there were three USC commits who did move up pretty significantly. I want to go through each guy, and we've touched on them before, but I, I want to get kind of the most recent intel on on what the impetus was. Uh, Kalen Bullock, the four star safety, was not in the rivals 250 previously. Now is at 119, so a massive surge for him. What was the discussion around Kalen Bullock? Yeah, I like Bullock a lot. I think he has a, a very high ceiling. And what I mean by that is that he's a kid who's super long and super rangy and super athletic, um, but he needs to put on a lot of weight. So over the next three or four years, he's going to develop physically, and if he can keep that bouncy athleticism, he could be pretty special. I think he's definitely a safety um, maybe a cornerback. He played some wide receiver at our camp, just messing around and looked really good doing it. Right. Um, and so I don't think he really kind of understands his potential yet. I think he's a lot like Marvell Tell over the long haul. So um, I think that's a pretty decent ranking for him and where he is now. I think I think that's kind of the, the player he reminds me of, if not a little bit more bouncy athletic. Good deal. I know this is not a guy in your region, your purview, but Brandon Campbell jumped 27 spots, the four-star running back. What was kind of the discussion around him and giving him that boost? Yeah, he's another kid that was impressive um, when Sam Spiegelman saw him this spring. And I think a guy that he probably wanted to move up earlier and just kind of hesitated a little bit on until he got his eyes on him a little bit more. So, you know, a very good position to come in as a USC running back. He had many, many options um, and chose to come to USC. So he's a guy who they had seen out there who will probably play, you know, at about 5'11", just over 200 pounds when he gets to campus. So good size, a guy that is a playmaker out of the backfield and a guy that, that Sam really liked and wanted to move up. And then lastly, Zamarian Gordon, uh, the safety, is a guy that you kind of told us was probably going to be a four-star in time. He gets that four-star bump, uh, climbs into the top 250 at number 228. What was your case for pushing him in there? Yeah, what I liked about him was this was purely film. So kind of reviewed it again and, and saw some other guys in person and on film. And I said, you know what, this is a guy who's really, really good. And I'm I'm, I was hesitating for a while because I just didn't think he had like super athleticism and he didn't even, and this is going to kind of sound super, but when he would pick off passes or uh, make a play on the ball, I was like, nah, he's just a, a step slow there. And so I was just a little bit hesitant on that stuff. Um, you know, even when he's picking it off and running into the end zone, I'm like, yeah, he's not really separating. And so I, I, I just found myself to be just for some unknown reason, uh, overly critical of him. And so I said, you know what, let's stop that. Let's move him up. He's a very, very good player. Um, a lot of schools wanted him. And when you see him, he loves to hit people, which I like. He's not afraid to be physical. And then he makes plays on the ball all over the field. So I said, let's move him up and let's give him a bump and, and see how it goes there. Well, one final question for you here. This is, again, kind of procedural. How many, how many four-stars 
are there beyond that 250? A guy like Jay Toya, the defensive tackle commit, has been a four-star this whole time, but is not in the 250. What is kind of the, the scope of that, that next group? Yeah, so I could pull it up right now. And So what we're looking at is uh, I would say probably about 30 names are outside of that list right now. That, that will grow, um, and we'll have more than that. You know, maybe, maybe 30, 35, 40 names in that list um, of guys who are, who are outside of the 250, and it grows. So the more guys you see, the more guys will move up and down. You know, honestly, generally the way it goes, more guys move up as you see them more, yeah. um, as, as you see other guys from around the country too. And then, you know, after the all-star events, um, you know, especially after senior seasons, when you see a lot of guys that you're on the fence about, is he a five, seven, three, is he a five, eight, four? And the longer you do this, it sounds strange, but the longer you do this, you kind of get a sense of who you think is a really talented three star, who you think should be a low four star. A lot of times, you know, those five, seven, three stars turn out to be really, really good in the five, eight, fours. You had just always had as a four star, and you didn't really want to move down. You didn't, but you were kind of hesitant because he had been good in an event. You'd seen him, so um, those guys who are kind of fringe four stars in the two fifty, a lot of them will move up because a lot of other guys will get flushed out. Good stuff, as always, Adam. Thanks so much for your time. Of course, right. All right, great stuff from Adam Gorney as always. Thanks, to Adam, for joining the podcast. And let's get to our final guest of the show and pivot to basketball and bring in Drew Peterson, the transfer from Rice, who goes in-depth on his transfer process and Trojan's decision. Drew, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, oh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely cool just uh, you know, with everything and all the media stuff, so it's good to kind of be done with that whole process. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure the transfer process is always stressful. Uh, first, let's go back to the beginning. Kind of tell me, tell us how you decided you wanted to look for a new basketball home and, and how hard it was to, to make that initial decision. Yeah, definitely. There was definitely um, a lot of moving pieces uh, just kind of, you know, a month ago when I hit the transfer portal regarding Rice and, you know, a couple guys left. And, uh, you know, I just kind of, it was nothing against, you know, the program because, you know, I, I love the staff, I love the program, love the guys on the team. And uh, I just kind of felt like I was ready for the next step in, you know, my whole basketball journey. And then you hit the portal. How many schools do you hear from? What's the process like from there? Uh, shoot, yeah. Uh, I want to say, you know, upwards of 30 schools, you know, wow. reached out to me. Um, yeah, I, I tried to, uh, you know, kind of sort through everything. And uh, obviously it was a tough process because, you know, you get calls from schools all over the country. But uh, it wasn't too bad just because of quarantine and not a lot of things going on. Um, but sorting through that was good, and then I started to kind of narrow things down and uh, just kind of went from there. Now, I saw you you were briefly committed to Minnesota, then backed off that, and then kind of reopened things. What kind of happened with that part of the process, and, and what led you to kind of reopen your options again? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I was uh, I just kind of felt like when I made the decision uh, to commit to Minnesota, I kind of rushed it a little bit. Um, you know, I was actually home in Chicago while my parents were down in Florida, and, you know, I kind of felt like given, you know, you know, especially moving piece with that as well. Um, I just kind of rushed the process, and you know, and making a big life decision like this you know, during this climate and environment where you can't even get on campus and you're doing Zoom meetings, it's tough. And so I wanted to uh, reconsider things before I ended up making this next big step in my life. Makes total sense. So, as far as USC, when did the coaches first reach out to you, and when does the courtship start from the Trojans? Yeah, the, uh, they reached out to me shortly after I hit the portal initially. And, you know, we just started developing a relationship, and then I ended up uh, committing to Minnesota. But when I kind of went back, uh, I, when I kind of decommitted there, they reached out again, and we kind of developed even, you know, deeper relationship and stuff and kind of went through the whole process with that, and they showed me the facilities and everything and how I could be, you know, put into the system. And I was really impressed with everything they showed me, and it's a great academic school. And so I decided, you know, I was really comfortable making that decision. What was their major pitch as to why it was a, a good opportunity for you to come in here? Yeah, no, they, uh, Coach Enfield and the rest of the staff really said they could see me fitting in the system really well. And, you know, especially with the guys they have coming in, you know, they got uh, Evan Mobley and, you know, a lot of big guys surrounding me and my versatility and my, able to, my ability to kind of see the floor and facilitate can work well and, you know, with the guys they have coming in. And I think that we got a really good shot to make some noise next year in the Pac-12. 
And so I think that, uh, you know, given all that and kind of, you know, knowing the L.A. area a little bit and uh, the academic side of it, I think it was a perfect fit for me. I want to get into to your to you as a player, your style, everything. But but first, you're not a grad transfer. So, what is your hope to have eligibility for next year? Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle regarding that stuff because I don't know if I'm going to be able to. Obviously, the meeting on May 20th will determine that if I'm allowed to or not. But um, you know, depending on the you know situation with the season and who knows how long it'll even be, I'm kind of trying to figure that out with the coaches right now. But they want me playing right away if I can. So I'm potentially going to file for a waiver anyway. And so uh, no, it's kind of up in the air right now, given a lot of uncertainty with even when things are going to kick off when we're getting back to school, though. Sure. So, but, so you're kind of hoping for that one-time transfer exception to go through and, and be an option. And if not, you'll, you'll pursue a waiver through the, the old means, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, well, you know, looking back over your bio, you started 55 games the last two seasons. So you came in the Rice and you were immediately a factor and, and, and a major focal point for them. Your six eight guard forward, kind of tell me what you think is, is your strength and, and, and the biggest thing you bring to the table. Yeah, I think definitely my size at the guard position is kind of gives me a unique dynamic out on the court, you know, especially with offenses gearing toward more five-out stuff nowadays. Being a bigger guard helps that, you know, create mismatches against my opponent. And so me being able to do a little bit of everything, I think, is the biggest facet of my game. You know, I can rebound, I can pass, and I can score. And I, I think I can score from all three levels. And honestly, my favorite part of my game is being able to facilitate for my teammates. So, um, you know, kind of when I was getting recruited by USC, the big thing was, you know, the surrounding pieces I'd have. And I think that I'll be able to thrive in their system just given kind of, you know, my attributes. Looking at your stats, what stood out was, was your assist, three and a half per game, uh, tops on the team. Kind of speaks to, to your role as a facilitator, as, as a bigger guard, and, and how that's become a strength of yours. Yeah, no, I think that's my favorite thing to do, honestly, is just create for my team because, you know, I'm an unselfish, unselfish guy. And I want to be able to try and, you know, draw two off-ball screens and find the open guy. And I think uh, my high, bas- high basketball IQ is able to really help that. And so as I just kind of read the floor and I go through the offense, I try and find any, you know, cut or opening or – seam I can find you know especially to slip a pass when I can and find other guys so having good pieces around me especially at USC will be awesome for that and so uh, I'm really ready to go and just uh, be able to kind of do whatever the team needs. Did did Coach Enfield and the staff talk to you about how they see you fitting into to the offense and and exactly how they would want to use you and, and, and put those strengths to use? Yeah Coach Enfield really preached my versatility and like I said, you know, my kind of ability to do a little bit of everything, and especially being a bigger guard, being able to, you know, I'll rebound my position and uh, just kind of facilitate to especially other guys. You know, they got a couple of big recruits coming in uh, that I can use around me. And so I think that with, with that being said, just kind of how I can be incorporated into the offense and, you know, the system and kind of the Pac-12 pace of play as well will really be uh, suitable for me. Uh, yeah, just going back to, to the recruitment process of it, not being able to come out here and visit, how much of – what of an obstacle was that to get over and how much were they able to show you via zoom or via video to, to kind of give you a sense for the facilities and the, and the program? Yeah, they were able to uh, show me all that kind of stuff, all the facilities, the area, um, you know, the apartments and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I was able to, and with being to LA a few times, even though not too many, um, I knew just, you know, LA is a really cool town or city and, area is really nice and i've got a couple friends who go to usc actually that uh, have said you know just limitless things about it so just kind of getting that sense about the community there and uh just kind of how the la area is i was able to make a comfortable decision you know adjusting from you know houston to la and and just kind of lastly you know in the end how close was that decision was it between usc and another school or two other schools what, what was kind of the final piece you were deciding between yeah, no, I wasn't really, uh, I didn't really narrow anything down. I was kind of just, uh, I kind of got back in the portal. I was still considering Minnesota, and I just kind of weighed everything when I had it, and um, I didn't really make, like, a top three or anything. I just kind of decided, you know, USC was the fit for me. So I just ended up making that decision. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us, Drew. Really appreciate it, and wish you the best of luck. Thank you. really appreciate it, man. Thanks to Drew, and that's our show. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks again to Keaton Slovis, to Adam Gorney, and then to Drew Peterson, who you just heard at the end. And we will be back with more interesting guests on the Trojan Talk podcast next week at some point. We're always, always working on Landon Moore 
engaging, cool guests like we had today. So just stay tuned for the next episode. And remember, if you are not part of the Trojansports.com community, you can be very easily. Promo code USC2020. Promo code USC2020 at sign up. Gets you a free trial through September 5th. Take advantage of it. Join our community. Join the message board. Get some buzz on the next commitment coming down the pike and other good discussion with our community. With that, thanks, and we'll see you next time.